This is Vermont Credit Unions on Air, a service of the Association of Vermont Credit Unions. I'm Joe Bergeron, president of the association, and with me is Adam Nekrasen, our association's chief credit union advocacy expert in the Vermont State House and president of Nekrasen Group, a government affairs, public relations, and strategic consulting company in Montpelier, Vermont. We're recording this the day after the 2020 elections, and everybody has probably gotten their, their fill and have a lot more fill yet to come with uh, results and the tabulations and challenges and so on and so forth of all of what's going on at the federal level. But we want to share with you in this podcast a little bit about uh, the outcome and results of what came from inside our state elections uh, covering all of Vermont. And I could think of nobody better to do that with us uh, than than Adam DeCrasson right here with us. So thanks for joining me, Adam. Thank you. It's good to be here with you, Joe. So it's been, uh, it, it was an, an eventful uh, election. And I know that although we don't have quite as much excitement uh, or frustration, however you want to describe it, as what's going on at the federal level, um, there's still some a lot of interesting developments that have happened in uh, elections to the Vermont State House and, and, and statewide elections and whatnot. And so, um, you know, I don't know where you want to start, but let's just you know start at the top and, and work our way down. Well, they focus on Vermont state politics, Vermont state government. Um, the, let me throw out a few big top lines for you. The, the first of which is before we get into the real results and everything, which is that vote by mail was a really big um, national and Vermont phenomenon this election. And Vermont has always had um, some open access early voting um, in recent elections. But this year, um, the governor and legislature, because of COVID, took it to a whole new level. And we had um, universal vote by mail as an option. A, a ballot went to every voter and and it would, the numbers on that were through the roof high. A lot of Vermonters voted by mail and very orderly. We have no signs of turmoil around these election results or the processing of these ballots. Credit really goes to the Secretary of State, Jim Condos, a credit union supporter from days in the right. legislature. Right. Um, but also Vermont's town clerks who candidly just opened hundreds of thousands of ballots and processed them for Vermont voters so they could vote from home. And it's, um, you know, it's a it's a credit, a, a, a big change and, and great for Vermont that it's gone smoothly. When we shift to the substance, there's a couple top lines and I'll throw them out there and then you and I can, you know, work through them a little bit. Sure. Top, the top two lines are that by and large, it was a status quo election for Vermont's state capital leaders. Um, incumbents were largely reelected um, and um, Phil Scott, top among them, um, was voted in with a real strong mandate. He won 69 percent of the vote. And that's a big number in Vermont. Um, shows he's very popular. And so he um, comes through this. 2020 election with a real strong kind of mandate from the electorate. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, sticking with the statewide ballot before shifting to the legislature, because Joe, while I said it's a status quo election, that's just a general characterization. The truth is, is that the power really shifted in the state capital and that your listeners on this podcast are going to get an early uh, read on what is going to be a meaningful shift in the power dynamic. Spoiler alert, Phil Scott got more power. Um, so, um, at the top of the ticket though, we saw an ex exciting race for Lieutenant governor. Remember the, the, the seat was vacated by David Zuckerman when he ran for governor against Phil Scott. Right. And 
Democratic um, newcomer Molly Gray um, defeated Scott Milne, a, a well-known popular central Vermont business person from the travel industry uh, by a margin of um, 51 to 44. And you know, that was a hotly contested race with you know, real intense battle on the airwaves. And um, there, there was a, a good chance for Scott Milne there for some time during the race, but Molly Gray pulled it off. Scott had run a, a couple times before, I believe, um, for political office, but Molly, uh, when she declared, just came out. Of, she was an unknown. I, believe, I mean, I had dealt with her in when she was working in Peter Welch's office, I think, in Congress. But um, and she's assistant attorney general, so she might have been a name familiar to some people. But you know, as far as uh, you know, elections go, this was her first one. A complete newcomer to the statewide electoral scene. Um, Scott Milne, you're right, is, is, is kind of known and been around. He, he missed by 2,000 votes becoming governor um, in Peter Shumlin's last contested election. Um, and so Scott Milne is someone um, who also benefited in this election from Governor Scott running as a ticket. You know, why vote for one Scott when you can have two? And um, he came close, but Molly Gray pulled it off. She's got a lot of ambition as a newcomer. She's in a new role. It's it's a big change for someone to be lieutenant governor who has not come up through the ranks of state government. So the issues are new to her. The process will be new to her. Um, and the politics are something where she's shown a lot of ambition. Um, so we'll see her having to find her way, how she fits in the state capitol um, as, a, as a newcomer. Running the rest of the top of the ticket, treasurer, secretary of state, auditor, incumbents, Beth Pierce, friend of credit unions, secretary of state, Jim Condos, another friend of credit unions, auditor, Doug Hoffer, also a friend of credit unions. They all handily won re-election um, and are considered senior experienced statewide officials. Right. Um, the um, action really that shifted the political dynamic in Vermont was when you read the strength of the governor's results with the subtle shift in what happened in the legislature, where the biggest news is that the Speaker of the House, Mitzi Johnson, at this point has been declared um, the loser of her reelection bid by 18 votes. Right. So in a two seat district where the, the winner gets 2,500 votes, um, she's 18 short. Um, her district is Grand Isle, South Hero, and Milton. And the Milton vote had a real powerful red Republican um, strength to it. And that has swept her out of office, which creates a big change in the state capitol. The other high note is why there's a real big shift. is not just did Phil Scott win a mandate and the speaker lose, but the House liberals, Democrats and progressives together, um, lost three seats from last year's total, which means they no longer have on paper power to override the governor's vetoes. And so they're now, they, there's now 99 Democrats and um, progressives combined, and you need 100. So it's possible that override battles will still be there, but we for sure are going to see a significant shift in the dynamic, the political dynamic um, that will be meaningful because this year the governor was overridden on the minimum wage, the Global Warming Solutions Act, 
He let three big laws go in without his signature because he knew he would be overridden. Um, vote by mail, police power reforms in the wake of George Floyd and uh, the cannabis retail market law. So those five bills all went in despite Phil Scott. And now those numbers shift and he should have more sway. So is it fair to assume that you'll see the Democrats get more friendly with the independent, the couple independents that are in, in the House and and they already were with the with the progressives? Yes, those independents become very significant and they're each independent in their own way and hmm. um, will bring, you know, a, a keen eye to those tensions as will the governor. I mean, those independents will become popular in the, what we call the corner offices at the state house, the right. governor's got one and the speaker's got one. And, you know, though the, the power balance will lie in um, the margins here where, um, you know, a few blue dog Democrats and independents. So losing your race by 18 votes is pretty slim, even in Grand Isle, Vermont, I presume. Um, so are we looking at a recount? Yes. She's declared a recount. Yes. And um, usually it takes a few days. Uh, I, you know, we won't have the hanging chads of the famous Florida recount, but right. we do see changes in recounts. I'm mindful that in the August primary, there's a Chittenden County Senate um, slot that was the, the, the candidate who came in, you know, 40 votes back, called for a recount and ended up having missed by just 20 votes. So you actually right. saw adjustment there. And, you know, the, the odds are against her, but the recount will happen and um, happen quickly because there's a huge, you know, vacancy in the most important slot in the house now. So as we were, as we were uh, listening to the news this afternoon, um, you know, at a federal level, you uh, saw news of um, a recount in, in one state that's very, well, the number of states is very close, but one of them. And so I'm just curious, and, and that's dictated by, state laws, I believe, and whatnot. So what is the process in Vermont? Do you know? And I'm sorry to spring this on you, but what's the process in Vermont for a recount? Are there certain criteria that have to be met in order to have a recount? You have to wait a certain period of time in order to execute it and any of that kind of stuff? Or is it just oh, yeah. there, straightforward? It's, it's regulated, but very straightforward. And boy, small world, only Vermont. I remember my dad, who's retired, was one of the volunteers on a South Hero recount maybe a decade ago. Wow. Um, so what I, what I know is that um, it's a pretty organized affair that the town clerk and the secretary of state's office manage, and they have um, a Democrat volunteer and a Republican volunteer mm -hmm. or groups of them sit together and they each look at the individual ballot and make a judgment. And, you know, so there's this collaborated experience where, you know, independent volunteers look at each ballot and put it in the right pile. Um, and so that'll happen. We, we have them regularly because Vermont's small and we have these margins. Sure. Um, they're, they're not cantankerous. They haven't involved lawsuits. Um, and uh, we know that the speaker will need this to move right along because TikTok, the session starts in a few um, short weeks and, you know, if she's not the speaker, then who is? And the legislature and the Democrats will want to get that 
power in place. Um, be mindful, Joe, that it's actually, um, and this sounds a little similar to a briefing we were giving post-election four years ago when it was new, new, new. It's not quite as new back then. It was a new attorney general, a new governor, a new everything. This is new for the Democrats in the legislature. They have a new pro tem who leads the Senate. It looks like they're going to have to have a new speaker. It means they're, because of the way these things will shuffle, having new majority leaders. So um, not only are the Democrats' numbers not as powerful as they were as it relates to Phil Scott, they've got all new leaders that are going to be put in place and have to kind of find their way. All while we have a remotely operated 2021 legislative session right. um, because of COVID. So are there are there rules and procedures yet to be created for that 2021 session coming up in a few months? They will need to put new ones in place because the rules and procedures they put in place expired for the, for the, you know, 2020 expired, but the signals are they'll likely, you know, do the same thing, more of a remote operation. There's a lot of talk of they need to have some in-person time at the beginning for the swearing in and getting started. You know, there are ideas about the Senate using the house chamber to, to distance and work together. Um, They're the state capital leaders, from all parties are frustrated by the remote operation. It was one thing to close out a session with a lot of business that was already in motion. You know, it, it, it does leave a lot of the dynamic for governing, um, you know, out and they're frustrated by that. So getting back to that very powerful speaker position, if it's not Mitzi Johnson uh, being successful in her request for a recount, um, and again, I hate to put you on the spot, but is there an obvious heir apparent or is it going to be relatively open with a number of different Democratic House leaders vying for that position? Probably both out of the gate. And so there is a, a, a representative who kind of seems to make sense for the position. Representative Jill Krawinski from the right. north end of Burlington is a longtime uh, veteran Democrat. Um, she's a majority leader right now is the the reason that she's on paper would look to be looking for the promotion to go up from majority leader to speaker. A uh, lawmaker from um, Bradford um, in the Upper Valley, Sarah Copenhansis, she um, ran for speaker in the previous contested election and shows she's current chair of the House GovOps Committee, um, friend of credit unions. She, she has ambition. And so the early talk this morning is Joe Kowinski and Sarah Copeland will look at the position. Um, but candidly, it's too soon to say because the speaker's got the three count and that's all right. just speculation. But right. you know, they look, they look, they both on paper look ready to go for it. But as I recall, or maybe I read someplace, Mitzi Johnson, uh, you know, this, I, I don't know if, if uh, her loss by 18 votes should come as a surprise, but I read someplace that in the last couple uh, elections that she was in, she didn't win by very much. Um, Correct. Thin margins. So, Thin margins, yeah. her previous elections. Yeah. She's from what we call a purple district. It's not blue. It's not red. It's got, yeah. you know, Grand Isle, South Hero, and Milton. And Milton is a really strong Republican vote at th- right. this point in time. And so right. that district is um, tough for the speaker it has been um so no it's not 
a big surprise for her or us. Um, but it is a big change and in a, um, one that sets off a cascade of action. Also contributing to the reduction in the number, uh, albeit small, the reduction in the number of Democratic seats in the House. And I mentioned to this, this to you before we got on the air here is uh, Cynthia Browning's uh, loss. She's from Arlington uh, of her election. Uh, she was a Democrat, but ran this time around as an independent, right? She was effectively drummed out of the party in the primary by um, a couple local now lawmakers who, who won those slots. Um, after she became controversial for calling the House back in person, kind of the um, to vote in person on the COVID operating procedures. It was a really controversial move considered, um, you know, she would say she was enforcing the rules and, and right. the, the party said she was creating a public health crisis and made everybody drive across the state for a procedural vote to set up Zoom democracy, but it really put her out of favor. And so local contenders sprung up and, and, yeah. and, and she's out. I remember she, she got uh, a lot of bad press about that. Um, and, uh, it seemed kind of ironic at the time that she was uh, pushing to have legislators go back to Montpelier instead of voting remotely in order to vote on the ability to vote remotely. Right. Uh, so uh, anyway, just interesting times. For sure. Um, inside the legislature, you know, for, for credit unions, places like the Ways and Means Committee, the Commerce Committee, the Finance Committee, um, these are really significant um this, these are the areas where we see consumer regulation, financial services regulation, taxation. Um, generally stated, the leaders of those committees are in place and we won't see big changes. We will see a bunch of new members on all of those committees, though. And so we will have our work cut out for us to introduce and, and grow into credit union supporters, new members on those key committees. Um, that's standard work for us, but important work. What about on, on the Senate side? I mean, we focused, I'm, I mean, those last comments by you were applicable across the board, but, uh, you know, we discussed a fair amount about the House. So what about on the Senate side? Um, you know, what are the big changes there? And were there any any standout upsets or anything? There was a, a there are changes in the Senate. Um, let me just run through some of them. The Biggest change is with the departure of Tim Ash, the Senate president, pro tem, who ran unsuccessfully in the Democratic primary for lieutenant governor. Um, we have a new pro tem coming in. This is a key position that really leads the Senate. The current lead contender is Wyndham County State Senator Becca Ballant. Um, and um, she has a, you know, a lot of work to figure out the position and, and, and lead the Senate. We also saw uh, a change in the makeup of the Senate. Democrats lost one seat. It's not so much a change in the dynamic, though, because it was a very conservative Democrat. John Rogers from the Northeast Kingdom, mm -hmm. um, very well known as a libertarian Democrat, um, most well known for his um, pro Second Amendment anti-gun violence prevention law advocacy. But he he stumbled in in didn't get his ballots in, his signatures in on time way back in the spring when they were COVID remote legislating. It was an unfortunate 
odd story with like the mail getting there late. So he had to run as an independent. He missed the Democratic primary and just he's also been controversial on the news up there over some um, you know aggressive comments he made online. And so it all added up to, you know, he's out and you know, the, uh, a rural Democrat was replaced by a traditional Republican from the Northeast yeah. Kingdom. As it, as it relates to the Senate, you know, the, it, it, it must be said, State Senator Jane Kitchell, chair of the Senate Appropriations Committee, will continue to bear uh, the lion's share of the weight of running the state's fiscal affairs. And that's the biggest thing coming, Joe, post-election is back to the fiscal affairs um, because the biggest job we'll have in the 2021 session is a balanced budget and hopefully some more COVID relief money will come from the federal government, obviously. Those are the same issues for about uh, 49 other states, right? Well, this is where the reckoning will come for state governments, you know, because they're going to head into their January sessions and be looking at drastic deficits. Um, So it's, it's the big thing to watch. But it it could lead to pressure for on tax policy if if um, if the feds don't come through, uh, we could see some real stress there. One real high note on that though: Vermont goes into this twenty twenty one session with some good reserves. We were able to really do well with the federal money that came through in twenty twenty, and so it's not the crisis state budget tone that we know is lurking. Um, out there. And do you, getting back to uh, Phil Scott and his, I don't know if it's warranted being called a landslide reelection, but pretty substantial. Yeah. Oh, it's um, landslide. Yeah. So do you think that that conjecture here, do you think that he would have won as handily in a, let's call it normal year or did his reigns on the, uh, you know, reactions by the state of Vermont to, you know, COVID uh, dealings and goings on and controls and whatnot, uh, keep him in the lim- limelight and and uh, create enough favoritism from the electorate to, you know, that really helped him out. Because he didn't really campaign much, I don't think. Right. The COVID aside, he, he probably would have been at, you know, 54, 55 if he had won. You know, and so he probably got 15 points out of his steady hand right. at the wheel. Um, right. We would have probably seen a, a, a race that was much, much closer, um, you know, without his signature leadership that really makes right. him probably one of the most popular governors in America right now. You know, a little bit of a standout for him. I don't know. Maybe there are others, but it just strikes me odd how public he's been uh, being a Republican governor about his going in a different direction than the Republican president um, and his, his well, non-support for the Republican president. So that was just kind of interesting how he came out publicly a number of times uh, during this whole campaign uh, run and everything. Right. That issue. He can read the poll. I mean, he, 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 um, He's governing from the center and Donald Trump got 30% of the vote here. So, right. you know, it was break from his party, but reflecting his people. So I don't know if there's more you want to talk about, about election results in the legislature or statewide offices, but I did think it would be interesting for us to 
do a, a forward look a little bit. What happens next? There'll be, you know, a shift in in some of the different controls you were talking about and whatnot. You know, one of the things that we uh, read about in the press, was it last week, I think it was, um, was again at a federal level, but it's like dominoes, right? Trickling down to the Vermont legislature uh, about Bernie Sanders' interest in um, a presidential appointment, uh, administrative appointment, uh, depending on who gets uh, elected president. So if that happens, doesn't that open the floodgates for a whole bunch of maneuvering? Yes. We know no matter what, 2022 has great, the 2022 election, the jockeying's already begun, Joe. The 2022 election Mm -hmm. likely has Senator Leahy kind of retiring. That's not known. But if he does, we'll see a lot of interest in the, the federal slot. Congressman Welch, move up. Maybe not. Let a let a young person get in there and get some veteran time. There's a whole group of women in the legislature that want a federal slot. Molly Gray, the new lieutenant governor. Becca Ballant, the incoming pro tem. Jura Kowinski, the majority leader, possibly speaker. Keisha Rahm, Chittenden County State Senator, to name four women that are, you know, very likely to be. Um, and have, and she's yeah. a first time senator this election, right? Keisha Rahm is, yes, but she's been a lawmaker for some time and has has built a real big um, presence. We know T.J. Donovan wants to kind of move up from attorney general to governor or Washington. um, And we probably haven't seen the last of David Zuckerman. So that would typically be being talked about for 2022, two years from now. But if Senator Sanders is appointed to a possible Biden administration, Governor Scott appoints a uh, temporary replacement. He has said he would pick somebody that would be interim and not seek the position. Um, And then there would be a special election in next May where all that 2022 ambition could um, happen early. And so there is, you know, already a sense of anticipation around what's next for a half dozen Montpelier politicians. Scott finding someone to appoint to um, Bernie's uh, seat who has, um, you know, is is independent or Democrat, um, but doesn't have an interest in seeking that seat permanently. That's got to bring it down to a very narrow list. Yeah, it, it, it get the Rolodex out to call a retired business CEO, you know, who's viewed as a Vermont leader, but not a Vermont politician. Right. Right. Credit union CEO that's retired. Um, Hey, Joe Finnegan, are you listening? (laughs) Joe Finnegan. There we go. Calling Joe Finnegan for U.S. Senate seat. There we go. Uh, But somebody like that, Joe, would would potentially get the nod and then the the political class would run hard at the seat. Interesting times, uh, you know, uh, if, if anything, uh, 2020 will be remembered for having the unusual and unexpected happen from start to finish. And it looks like it's going to continue to 2021 easily. Yeah. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot more analysis of this election that's going to go on that we're going to read in the media and whatnot, uh, especially as we see what does or doesn't happen as a result of these recounts and so on and so forth. And then the appointments that come after that of who's going to fill what seat and whatnot. 
Um, but this has been informative. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, I know you live and breathe this stuff every day, uh, but for the rest of us, uh, it's nice having your insights to, that you share with us uh, that come as second nature to you, but are very informative to the, to the rest of us. So thank you. You're welcome. With that, uh, we've reached the end of another Vermont Credit Union's On Air podcast and hope that it's been informative. This podcast, along with ones we've previously recorded, are archived at soundcloud.com forward slash BT Credit Unions with an S. If you have ideas for a podcast on something you'd like to hear about, send it to podcast at Vermont Credit Unions with an S dot co-op, C-O-O-P. Until our next podcast, this is Joe Bergeron and Adam Nekrasen at the Association of Vermont Credit Unions thanking you for listening.